from the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th and G, podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. On this episode, we're joined by Greg Orman. Um, some of you may find that name familiar. Greg has run statewide in Kansas twice recently. He ran for United States Senate in 2014, and then he ran for governor in 2018, both as an independent. His background is that he was a Republican, he was a Democrat, and now he's an independent. And I thought with all of the discussion about Howard Schultz running as an independent, I kind of just wanted to know what's it like running outside the two-party system. Uh, so Greg was nice enough to join us, and uh, here you go. Also, just as a bit of a heads up, it's the first time I, we've ever tried to phone in on the uh, podcast. I think the sound quality should be fine, but if you hear any bumps and noises in the background, that's what it's from. Okay, here we go. Greg Orman. Greg Orman, welcome to 14th and G. Uh, happy to be with you. <laughs> so you've been a Republican, you've been a Democrat, been an independent. You know, talk me through your thinking on that. Well, you know, my my uh, defining issue for me really has always uh, been uh, oriented around our federal uh, finances. And so historically, I've, I've always looked at it and been concerned about us living outside our means and what that means for the programs that we provide for people who really need it and really what it means for our country. In fact, Admiral uh, McMullen at one point, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, made a comment that the greatest threat to U.S. national security was our national debt. Uh, and so given that that was my animating issue for the longest time, I, you know, initially in my life, uh, you know, felt more alignment with Republicans. Uh, but ultimately, I think as time has proven, uh, they haven't been particularly good when it comes to fiscal issues. Uh, and so I decided I would give the Democrats a try, and then I found out they were equally bad. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, as I got into thinking about this issue, the other thing that I realized is that there have been a lot of organizations working for a long time uh, in a very uh, earnest way, organizations like the Concord Coalition, the Peterson Foundation, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, sure. they've all been working on this this issue, and, and yet it uh, has gotten worse uh, over time. And it became clear to me uh, that until we changed the electoral incentives, uh, until we uh, got got around this issue of uh, a closed two-party system where uh, the incentives really aren't aligned for sol- or around solving problems. They're they're aligned around making the other party look bad. Um, we're never going to solve not only the debt issue, but but climate change. Um, you know, our immigration uh, issues and a whole range of issues that really matter deeply to people. Yeah, um, I probably the best example of that is the uh, as we're taping this, the president's going to give his State of the Union tonight. Um, I suspect the wall versus immigration versus all that stuff will be kind of top of mind for folks right out of the gate tonight. So there's been a lot of talk about um, recently about Howard Schultz. He's thinking about running for president as an independent. What's your what's your initial take on him, and what's your thoughts on kind of just generally folks running for president as an independent? Um, there's there's a I think there's a the, a lot of folks that would would 
would argue that running for president as an independent may be the first way to break up the two-party system. But I don't know. Do you agree? Well, I, I actually had an op-ed that ran, uh, I believe, yesterday in the Wall Street Journal where I where I outlined my thoughts on this. But I, I absolutely uh, believe uh, that someone like Howard Schultz, uh, if they're so inclined, should feel free to run as an independent. I do believe that if an independent were to run and to win, it would have dramatic implications for our two-party system and and dramatic positive implications as far as I'm concerned for our two-party system. Uh, And I believe it's possible that an independent could win. Uh, You know, I I know there's a whole lot of skepticism out there about independent candidacies. I've run twice as an independent. uh, And what I found is critical is as an independent, you have to break through what I call the gravitational pull. Sure. Um, You know, right now, uh, the media, after Howard announced, uh, started jumping on the bandwagon of don't spoil this election. Uh, We heard from numerous political pundits and political operatives, most of them on the Democratic side, that he was going to spoil the election and hand it back to Trump. And, you know, all of that uh, serves to sort of keep uh, polling numbers for independence down. And uh, in some senses, that's actually better than what normally happens to independence, because what normally happens to independence is the press and the pundits ignore them. Uh, and they basically say they have no chance. And it's it's sort of a circular problem. Sure. If the press doesn't cover your campaign, you're not able to rise in the polls if you're not able to rise in the polls. Uh, voters uh, really don't want to consider your candidacy because they want their vote to matter. Yeah, no, uh, and so yeah, that that, that circular uh, discussion makes a lot of sense. And you know, you mentioned a word that I actually had written down here. I was going to ask you about. It feels like everybody describes a third party candidate as spoiler. I don't know if that's justified necessarily. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I you know I don't know how you spoil a system that's already rotten. So, <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty good answer, you know. But but just in terms of if you look historically, I know that this is something that they tried to hang around Ross Perot's neck and suggest that that George H. W. Bush lost his reelection because of Perot's candidacy. You know, all the evidence suggests that's that's a false claim. Um, in fact, you would have to believe that. Uh, all of the people who voted for Perot were going to vote in the election anyway, and that roughly three out of four of them were going to vote for, for Bush. And, and, you know, candidly, I think both of those assumptions are wildly inaccurate. I think many people came out and voted uh, solely and exclusively because Perot was running. Sure. Uh, and I think, you know, those people who, who uh, would have voted anyway, I don't know that that uh, George H.W. Bush would have gotten 75 percent of those votes. So, you know, I think it's I I think it's generally speaking uh, one of the, you know, handful of attacks that partisans use to diminish independent candidacies. Uh, Spoiler is one of them. The other one, we're starting to hear it about Howard Schultz already. Um, You know, they're talking about, well, we don't know where he stands on the issues. You know, he doesn't have a coherent vision. Sure. And, you know, my argument would be what candidate one week after announcing has all their policy prescriptions mapped out. Most of them announce and then immediately go on what they call a listening tour. Sure. uh, Which is their way of traveling whatever state they're running in and getting as much free press as they can get while not having to take any sort of meaningful stances on issues. Um, 
And so I think I think those are easier attacks to make on independence. The the policy attack is easier to make on independence because people feel like they have a shorthand to know what it means to be a Democrat and what it means to be a Republican. Sure. So when yeah. a candidate announces as a Democrat, they sort of say, okay, yeah, I, I think I generally know what they stand for. And they're more focused on the attributes of the candidate themselves than they are on their policy positions. But again, it's an easy attack on an independent because, you know, it's, it's voters really don't know what to think about independent candidates until those candidates get out and uh, define themselves. So you said you've, and you, you mentioned this, you've run statewide twice as an independent. You ran for governor and you ran for Senate. Um, I'm going to ask you two kind of logistical questions. What's the what's the best thing about running as an independent? What's the biggest advantage? And what's the biggest drawback? And, you know, there may be, since I've never done it, I, I suspect there may be something I don't totally wouldn't guess. Well, you know, in terms of advantages, there are actually very few advantages to running as an independent. The, the, the most important advantage, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is you get to be your own person. Sure. And, uh, you know, I've often described both parties as nothing more than aggregation points for special interests. And so, you know, if you're running in a party, uh, in some senses, you've, you've got it that hung over you. You're, you're sort of limited in terms of what you can stand for and what you can't stand for. And if you get elected as a party candidate, you go too far off reservation, uh, you get punished. Sure. Um, you know, the, the, the difficulty of running as an independent, and it's something that, that Howard Schultz is in some senses not going to have to face, are, are a couple. You know, as I mentioned, you know, people just don't know what to think about an independent. So there's, there's more work that needs to be done to define your, yourself as a candidate. Sure. Uh, you know, second issue is, is financial. Um, you know, there are lots of donors and donor networks uh, that support Democrats and Republicans. You know, independents really have to build uh, their own support base uh, in terms of a donor community. Something tells uh, me Mr. That, Schultz is not going to have a problem with that one. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, that, that, that's something Howard doesn't doesn't have to deal with. And you know, uh, frankly, that's a that's a real positive thing. And I think if he uses that the right way, you know, in fact, like Trump did by saying I can't be bought. Sure, yeah. uh, I'm yeah. going to I'm going to serve the people. I think it can be a very positive from a messaging standpoint as well. But then the other thing to recognize is all the rules in this country are written in such a way to support uh, the two-party system. Yeah, that makes it makes a lot of sense. And by design, you know, um, um, even I suspect, you know, things like, you know, CNN and Fox and whoever else is going to have a whole bunch of Democratic debates. Um, so there's a lot of free airtime for folks. That kind of stuff you know, kind of non-specific stuff may also be difficult. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's a huge advantage. In fact, when we, when I ran for governor and, uh, this last cycle, you know, it was one of the biggest challenges we had was getting any airtime at all in July. Right. Uh, because right. there, there are, there are convent, there are primaries the first Tuesday in August in Kansas. Yep. And, you know, fr- frankly, there was all sorts of free airtime being given out. You know, the broadcast networks were, were just unwilling to include us uh, in that because they made the argument that they're covering the primaries. Right, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, one of the articles I wrote during the campaign was a call for an independent primary. Hmm. Um, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't you couldn't structure your elections in such a way that you qualify to get on the ballot as an independent through a signature process. But then all the independents who qualified have to participate in a primary. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder, I suspect somebody like Schultz can kind of, 
either purchase or generate you know some version of press nationally but you know if if you play it on the national level and let's say cnn does you know five democratic presidential debates i'm making this up but let's say they do that you know sure. that, that's five things that they're getting for free that he's gonna have to pay for that's that's a yeah. pretty uh, you know significant cost absolutely and in fact doug Schoen did an analysis uh, for an organization called Level the Playing Field that was challenging and is still challenging the debate access rules and the Commission on Presidential Debates. And in Doug's analysis, he believed that to meet the debate threshold of 15% polling in uh, on Labor Day, sure. uh, you would have to spend roughly $260 million dollars. Um, and in, in large part, that's because you don't get nearly the free media benefits that the major party candidates get. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what do you, here's, a, here's another question for you. So I suspect in Kansas and as, as, as it is around the, the country, there's a lot of folks who talk about themselves as independents. And frankly, like, I think if you gave people truth serum, there's very few people who are actually like, I believe 100 percent in what this party says and I believe 100 percent what this party says. However, you know, the percentage of people who say they're independent and the percentage of people who actually vote independent is usually a significant drop off. Why do you think that is? You know, I think it's because people want their votes to matter. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier in the in the call about this concept of a gravitational pull that's placed on independent candidates. You know, unless you're able to poll, you know, in the low 20s, uh, you get to you, you sort of reach a, a ceiling as an independent candidate where uh, the parties and the other candidates are able to dismiss you as not having a path to winning the media is able to dismiss you as, as running a quixotic campaign or otherwise not being able to win. And voters who might otherwise want to vote for you might actually say to pollsters in the month before the election that they plan to vote for you. When it comes to making an ultimate decision, um, they want their vote to matter. And so they end up reverting to saying, okay, well, while this may be my first candidate, uh, I, I really don't want uh, this other candidate to win, so I'm going to vote uh, for the candidate who can beat them. And, and you know, I said this a lot in my campaign, uh, you, you shouldn't have to vote for a bad candidate just to avoid a worse one. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And, and yet that's what a lot of independent voters end up doing. You know, the other, the other attack on independents are they aren't really independent. They generally either vote Democrat or Republican. And there's a professor at Dartmouth named Charlie Whelan who has a great explanation for this. He says, you know, most Americans claim they like lobster, but when they go to the buffet line at the wedding, they eat either the chicken or the beef, so therefore they must not like lobster. He <laughs> said, well, the problem is there's no lobster in the buffet line. Right, um, right. And, and so oftentimes, you know, again, we have the sense of the electorate, and we say, well, they say they're independent, but they they vote uniformly Democrat or uniformly Republican. Well, the reality is they oftentimes don't have a choice. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally and, and makes so, sense. So I, yeah. So I think there is that fall off that comes from, you know, making that last-minute decision about, well, while this independent candidate, I might like them, they might inspire me, I might want to see them elected. At the end of the day, um, you know, I want my vote to matter, and there's a candidate in the race who I really dislike, so I'm going to I'm going to vote for a bad candidate to avoid a worse one. Is, do you think that there's a, um, some small tactical things that could help? So, you know, New Hampshire has same-day registration and uh, 
Um, you know, my, I, there's a few states I've worked in where you can kind of do that. In New Hampshire, you could walk in and pick up a Democratic ba- primary ballot or Republican primary ballot or anything else. Um, I think if you remember back in the McCain uh, Gore Bradley universe, um, I worked for Gore. We had a calculation that basically all the independents, which there are a third of the state of New Hampshire, would vote for McCain, and they did. They they showed up. This yep. is the straight talk express time. Is that the kind of thing that on a very kind of local level could, could help? Because it felt like they could weigh in, and they were like in play, and therefore you had to go talk to them. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things that could help independent candidates, and then there's certainly things that could help amplify the voices of independent voters. Uh, and they're not necessarily the same thing. Okay, interesting. Uh, so in, in terms of helping independent candidates, you know, we've seen same-day registration uh, elevate one independent candidate for statewide office in recent memory, and that's Jesse Ventura in Minnesota. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, um, you know, I, I knew people who were working on Skip Humphrey's campaign, the Democrat, uh, and they knew the race was lost when they went to the polls on Election Day and saw lines around the corner. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And they and they realized that Jesse had inspired enough people to go out and register same day. People who had never voted before, who had felt turned off by a system that's letting them down uh, and, and ultimately went out and vote. There are other sort of tactical things that I think uh, help independent candidates. One of them we've seen uh, we've seen main embrace, which is called ranked choice voting. Yep. We saw and, that this you time. Know, in, yeah. yeah. And in ranked choice voting, as you know, you. You get to rank uh, the candidates uh, one to N, and if your candidate doesn't uh, uh, doesn't make it to the top two, votes end up getting re- reallocated to your second choice. Mm-hmm. And you know the pl- the place where that would obviously have had an impact would have been the Florida presidential contest in two thousand. You know, talking about Gore, uh, because you know Ralph Nader got a hundred thousand votes in Florida. And I think it's reasonable to expect that most of those people would have picked Gore as their second choice, given the connection that Gore had to the environment. Sure. Uh, and, you know, as you know, Gore lost by fewer than 500 votes there. Uh, with the ranked Greg, choice. Greg, Greg I, was the, I was the field director in the state of Florida for Al Gore. It was 537 votes, and you're killing me right now. i got to relive this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, ne- ne- neither here nor there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> You're just making me live painful uh, experiences, that's all. <laughs> yeah, it, it, in any event, ranked choice voting is something that takes away that spoiler argument altogether because only positive votes count. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so, so you know, that that is a, something that we've seen catch, uh, uh, catch some momentum, uh, not only in Maine, but we've also seen it now applied in city elections in places like Minneapolis. Uh, in other parts of the country, and so I think that could help independence. You know, clearly, um, you know, if we're able to level the playing field in terms of things like debate access rules, uh, in terms of things like finance rules, those would all help uh, independence as well. But I think, again, the biggest barrier is psychological. And yeah, so uh, that's why that's some someone's campaign like Howard Schultz's could be so important. You know, H- Howard Schultz could really help define what it means to be a political independent. And I tell people I'm an independent for three reasons, because I think for myself, uh, because I use facts and common sense in solving problems, 
uh, and I'm not obligated to party bosses or special interests. And, you know, so for me, you can be a principled conservative or a principled liberal and still be an independent. Sure. Um, You know, but, you know, uh, Howard has the opportunity to really define for people a version of what it means to be an independent. And if he if he has a powerful enough message that might attract people to that movement. Uh, And then the other thing is, if he runs a credible campaign and, you know, builds on what we saw from someone like Ross Perot, who I argue would have won that election if he hadn't dropped out yeah. uh, for two months in the summer. Yeah, he did that funky uh, drop in, drop out kind of. <laughs> he was, he yeah, was in, Repub- then he was out at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Republican dirty tricksters were going to disrupt his daughter's wedding. You know, <laughs> sort of an odd, odd explanation. And, and then he jumped back in after the fault lines had already been defined and you know, he, he could have had a terrific vice presidential candidate. He ended up with a certainly a war hero and a, and a national treasure in Admiral Stockdale, uh, but probably not somebody who was, uh, you know, suited to be vice president. Sure. And and so I think I think there there's important psychological barriers uh, that something like a Schultz candidacy, if done the right way with the right head, uh, could overcome. Yeah, I, you know, I'm also interested in uh, you know one last thing on that is is y- you're not confined to pick your vice president at a convention. Now you don't get a convention unless you pay for it as an independent. But what's to say Schultz doesn't pick a you know a former governor or something uh, you know tomorrow afternoon? And now you got two people in airplanes flying around the country to stuff. Um, you know, I, it does give you some real wiggle room to think creatively uh, on tactical levels. Now, my guess is, you know, three days of wall-to-wall TV coverage is still, that's probably not, it's probably hard to make that up. Um, But as you say, as he's defining, you know, basically taking a blank slate and trying to define it, he could fill in some of those angles with like, oh, by the way, here's who's going to be a vice presidential candidate of mine. And here's who the type of people I would think about to like work in my cabinet. Uh, You could do that way before everyone else can, I assume. Yeah, in fact, you could you could almost run a team if you wanted to. Yeah, uh, and you could give the American people a vision of what your administration would look like that's harder for partisans to do. Um, and so he does have the freedom to reimagine that, and I think that in in general is a positive thing. Yeah, the other thing that 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 I think is important to remember, you know, if you talk to Americans, and again, we talked about voting behavior and. Uh, people people being uh, politically independent, but ultimately voting for Democrats and Republicans for a, for a variety of reasons. But, you know, the vast majority of Americans are fundamentally dissatisfied with our two-party system. You know, over 60% of them actually believe we need a credible third party. Um, you know, 85% of Americans believe Washington is a rigged game that only benefits those people who can buy access to power. And by every measure, they're right. Sure. Um, and so, you know, a real credible independent candidate that taps into that, that talks uh, to people about how the system has let them down and comes up with a real vision uh, for how we can restore the American dream for all Americans who are willing to work for it, I think could be a powerful candidacy and, you know, could be a candidacy at the right time. Um, given just where the American electorate is right yeah, now. Yeah, that was my last. Let's finish on that. What do you think about the, the American electorate now, right? So, you know, Congress's approval ratings is in, is in the single digits as it normally is. You know, the president's been hanging around 35 to 40. 
Um, and frankly, there's a whole bunch of people who voted for the president who I think now are like, mm, what do we get ourselves into here? Um, do you think this is, you, you know, if you, you put yourself in Howard Schultz's shoes for a second, do you think this is the kind of environment that potentially could lead to two kind of extreme party picks and, uh, you know, an, and an independent run that would sit kind of squarely in the middle? Uh, I, I think there are, I think there are positive aspects about what's going on right now for that negative. The, the negative is uh, President Trump seems to be very good at forcing binary choices. It's true. You're either true. you're either for him or you're against him. Yeah, right. And so you know, in that environment, you know, an independent candidate is going to have to be awfully strong to get people. Uh, to jump out of that framework and to say this isn't a binary choice, either I'm for Trump or against Trump, I have another alternative. Yep. Uh, but with that said, you know, I think you've got to examine some of the reasons behind why people voted for President Trump. You know, in 2016, median household income in America had been stagnant for almost 18 years. 1999, um, was the high watermark for median household income in the 20 prior years. Uh, and, you know, so the average American household hadn't had a pay increase in 17 years. Uh, and at the same time, the things they spend so much money on, health care, higher education, child care, have so far outstripped the rate of inflation that for the average American family, it didn't feel like you were treading water. It felt like you were drowning. Sure. And, and that was the backdrop that elected Trump. And I think so many people who voted for President Trump did it because they said, the system isn't working for me. You know, I know I'm going to get status quo if I vote for someone who's been around for three decades. But if I vote for, for, for Trump, uh, maybe my life will change. In some senses, for a lot of voters, I think he was a lottery ticket. Sure, and, and, and he, know, he actually it, said it when he said he was talking about whether it be African-American voters or whatever, what do you have to lose? And I think there's a bunch of people yeah. who are like, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> let's, let's, let's try it. But, but I think if an independent came out and you know, likewise spoke to those people and, and demonstrated a different pathway and a way for them to start improving their lives again, I, I think that there are a lot of those people who voted for President Trump who were looking for something different, who were hoping uh, that a Trump presidency would ultimately improve their lives and get us out of this, this stagnation from a wage perspective. Uh, and I think those people might be drawn to a Schultz candidacy if he's able to talk to him in the right way. Interesting. Well, uh, Greg, I really appreciate your time. Um, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll bug you again as this campaign goes on. Um, yeah. <laughs> CR, happy to, happy to talk anytime. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Okay. Have a good day. Okay. We pulled it off. An actual phone interview on the 14th and G podcast. I want to thank Greg for coming in here to 14th and G. Uh, if you're looking for me, my email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, the intersection of business and policy right here, 14th and G.